Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the New Life Church Rewind Podcast. My name is Michael, and I'm here with Pastor David Sangster. Hi, everybody. And we just want to welcome you to another episode. Um, We're working through a series called Summer Baggage, and we're in the second week of this series. And basically, what we're doing is we're, we're teaching the congregation here at New Life how to basically lighten the load in their Christian walk, and we're kind of going through different aspects of that. So, Pastor Dave, what is the big idea of this week's message that we're going to rewind today? So the big idea is uh, pride grows because we crave independence and self-sufficiency, yet we are called to depend on God in humility. So two key words out of that. Yeah. Pride and humility. Right. So we're going to spend a majority of this podcast today kind of talking about what it's like to shed pride from yourself and how to kind of submit to humility. I don't know. Humility is a weird word. I don't know how you use it. Like, do you, is it something you do or is it more like a state of being? I think it's got to be cultivated over time, but I heard somebody, I was listening to a podcast yesterday and I was, he was describing this concept of humility and I really liked the way he said, he said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not self-abasement and things like that. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less it's 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 outward focus it's thinking about other people it's it's not focusing focusing your life all on on yourself it's basically it's not about you right it's almost like false humility is is like self-deprecation so when if someone is like um unnecessarily self-deprecating that's actually a very prideful Mm -hmm. way Mm -hmm. to express your humility which is kind of a strange thing to do. It's the complete opposite of what you're supposed to be doing. Right. Okay. So in the sermon this week, we started right off the bat with this conversation about hikers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how hikers take great pride in having like the perfect backpack. Yep. It needs to be light and, but it also has to have everything that someone may need. Right. And so if we carry that idea of a hiker, so, uh, if you're listening to this, you're a Christian on your Christian hike. Right? You're, you're a pilgrim, you're, you're, right? You're, you're a pilgrim, <laughs> yeah. You're, you're going through your, your everyday life. How does a Christian pack his backpack? So mm-hmm. what I want to ask you first is, what do we put in our backpacks that we just don't need? Mm. Well, I think we touched on a, quite a few of them, the concept of pride, the concept of uh, just extra baggage that we have emotionally, uh, uh, spiritually, um, mentally but i think one of the big ones and i just like throw this one out here is this concept of cares of the world we care way too much about what people think about us mm-hmm. we're carrying that thing around it's weighing us down and i mean i've struggled with that the concept of you know uh comparing myself to other people uh, i talked about it on sunday when it comes to preachers have a hard time with looking at other preachers ministries and yeah um comparing so this concept of always having an outward look at how people are judging you you we feel judged they haven't done anything but we are carrying that burden around that is completely and utterly self uh inflicted it reminds me of a time one time my wife and i went on a hike and we had this idea that we were going to get to the top we we're going to see what do they call it the the view at the top, what do they call that? Like panorama, the, the pan, whatever. And we're going to get up to the top and we had packed some, we love like sparkling mineral water. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. We, so we packed our bag. We had like all this and like, we're hiking up this, this hill with more, just something that we didn't need just mm-hmm. for, for like, for what? And, mm-hmm. and that, I really thought about that, that we're talking about summer baggage. And I think all of us have, we just feel the weight of the world on yeah. us all the time. But we can't go up the hike with nothing. Right. So what are the essential things that we need in our Christian hike? Like, for example, I'm sure people who are serious hikers, they probably have maybe change a sock, mm-hmm. first aid kit, probably some kind of fire starter right. compass. But 
there is, you can have too much, but you can have not enough too. Right. So I want to ask you, what are the essential things? And this is metaphor, so they're yeah. not physical things, but what are those things that we have to have in our hiking bag or else we're either going to, mm-hmm. we're going to, we're going to be in danger when we do this, this life that we right. live. I think one of the, <clears throat> it's a physical thing. It's also a, uh, theoretical or whatever, how you ever said it. Um, this concept of scripture. When Jesus went on a hike, he took a 40 day hike. Yeah. And he traveled pretty light. <laughs> traveled light. But what he did have in the moments that he needed it the most was the word of God. And I think we do need to read our Bibles. We need to have that physical thing with us and, and, and at a ready uh, availability for us to use and study and meditate on. I do think it's a memorization of scripture is also is, is a big thing to having, having that word written on your heart so that uh, when difficulties come, even when you're not prepared, you have that, that resource. So memorizing scripture, um, praying without ceasing this concept of being in a constant fellowship with God I'm not talking about kneeling all the time. <laughs> right. It's just, you know, constant conversation with your with your Lord and Maker. Um, those types of things. And and I do think um, we need each other. We, you know, it's it's kind of dangerous to hike alone, honestly. Yes. Yeah, I'll tell you a story. One time, and talking about not having the right equipment. So I got this bright idea. This was early on in smartphones where I downloaded a bunch of trail maps on my phone. Okay. And I went on a hike uh-huh. and I got lost. It's scary when you get lost. In yeah. It. And this is uh, I don't want to preach it too much. This is kind of a testimony. I remember I wasn't, I wasn't a Christian at the time. Mm-hmm. I think I was, well, let's put it this way. I wasn't, mm-hmm. I wasn't. <laughs> it's complicated. We'll get to that another time. And I remember I started walking around in circles mm-hmm. and I had enough, you know, I did Boy Scouts and, you know, right. me and my dad went camping. I had enough knowledge to kind of, I knew that I was in trouble. Mm-hmm. But you knew which not which berries not to eat. <laughs> I, I, I knew I was in trouble, and um, then my phone died because oh, it was trying man. to like yeah. it was trying to connect to. I didn't like switch it on airplane mode. They didn't really have this is right. early on. This oh, is a yeah. BlackBerry that I had, and I remember like telling myself, I was like, I got five minutes, or I if I don't find my way in five minutes, then I got to spend the last little bit of dark finding a place to to mm-hmm. overnight. And I ended up finding my way. I prayed my way out, to be honest. That's what happened. I really believe that. But hiking alone yeah. with the wrong gear, you can end up in serious trouble. And, and I wouldn't have died. It was like early spring. But it would have been a rough night. I would have been out. Yeah. You know, and I probably would have waited for the morning hikers and screamed like, hello, I'm the idiot who thought I had the right gear, yeah. but I didn't. Yeah. I did have one right piece of gear. Right. I, I, I was, yeah, you, you want to start uh praying it's usually when you know if you're right. if you're not a believer when you're in crisis that might be your first introduction mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to prayer but i just i think about this analogy of hiking because i think it's scripture prayer going with somebody else yeah, i think we're better than one especially in those situations yeah that's yeah. a that's the kind of light pack i think that we need to get through mm-hmm. to get through agreed and then going along with that hiking you you talked about how life wasn't meant to be experienced alone and in a certain sense we help carry each other's baggage because mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. we're going on a hike, you might be carrying like yeah. maybe the water, maybe I got the first aid kit and that's going to make these long hikes easier if we were packed right. So we're meant to live life together, mm-hmm. but the Bible also has this funny habit of describing us as sheep, yep. right? And I thought that was interesting because sheep are herd animals. Mm-hmm. They need each other. They're strengthening the herd, but they also need to be led. Mm-hmm. So is that just another way that our interdependence on each other and on God, is that like just literally hardwired into us? Yeah. I think we get, I think we get, um, equated with sheep a lot in scripture because sheep are dumb. Mm-hmm. They're very dumb. Yes. God, God love them. They're dumb. Sheep, uh, they don't, they don't have a good independent brain. So though they are herd animals, they just do stupid things. And, you know, I think the whole concept behind us being sheep is that we got to be careful when we start um, moving outside of the guidance and direction of the shepherd because we just don't have the perspective. Uh, Sheep tend to wander. Mm -hmm. 
and even though they're, they're they, they, they they let their let's put it this way they let their stomachs guide their feet. Right. So if they see something that's interesting that they might want to eat over there, it may not be the safest place for them to be, but their stomachs guide their feet. So they'll they'll wander and they'll they'll for, they just forget where they were. And it takes the shepherd corralling or or a sheepdog, good sheepdog corralling mm-hmm. them back in because they don't have the perspective that the the shepherd has. So I, I don't want to say people are stupid, but we we do have a lack of perspective and we do let our appetites guide our feet. And we get off in all these weird places when we don't allow there to be a uh, a guiding uh, entity in our lives. Yeah, I like what you said about perspective because when a sheep is grazing, now it does have wide pupils and it has probably, they say sheep have much more better panoramic vision than you and I. Yeah. But their head is down yep. when they're feeding where the shepherd's eyes are looking to the horizon. They're looking for right. dangers. And I think... There's just another way that we are like sheep that it is our our animal nature to just be very short-sighted to to just yeah. be consumed with the next meal or the next thing when you know you'll thank God we have someone who's looking out for us uh towards the I horizon. Mean, sheep, they'll literally they'll literally eat their selves into starvation. They have no ability to uh monitor or uh regulate they're eating. So if a shepherd doesn't guide them to other pastures and move them along and, and really uh, steward the land, they'll just eat it bare. They'll be, eat it down. Mm-hmm. So like they just they just know what they know, and that's how to eat. <laughs> so it's just another indication to us that we are supposed to do life together. And now we're going to move into Mark 10, 17 through 25. And this was a verse that we used uh, in, in the sermon on Sunday. And Different Bibles have it called different things. Mine calls it the rich young ruler, mm-hmm. or sometimes it's the rich young whatever, What different word for that. But his name was Jeff. I don't know. Oh, oh I, I thought you were actually going to give us some insight. <laughs> no. was, I, they, don't, I, they don't name him. The yeah, poor guy has yeah. no name. I read in the Apocrypha that this guy's name was whatever. Jeff. <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> so the rich young, the rich young ruler, uh, starting verse 17, uh, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit inherit eternal life? Jesus said, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him, and he said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. So this kind of struck me because we go right from there to the camel passing through the eye of a needle, right? These things are related. And so on Sunday, you talked about this whole concept of a mm-hmm. camel going through the eye of a needle. Mm-hmm. So if you would just, for the people listening and kind of talk about that gate again, mm-hmm. how, what that all means, cause it was kind of confusing. Right. It could be. Yeah, no, there's, there's two different uh, interpretations of this passage. One is the literal one where the idea of passing a camel through the eye of a needle is absolutely impossible. And uh, there's nothing that you can do to gain salvation. Like you'd have to shred that camel. Yeah, there's no, there's no like way. Like wood chipper. Yeah, <laughs> wood chipper. <laughs> like, how else would you be able to no. do it, right? But, but go back to what, go back to the, what the young man said. What was the first thing he said? What's good, go good teacher. Good teacher. Yeah. What must? What must I do? Right. Stop. What must I do? The answer is this: is there is nothing you can do. It's completely. Later on, Jesus says. With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible, mm-hmm. right? So it could be that literal translation of, you know, only God can make a camel small enough to pass through an eye needle mm-hmm. or a needle <laughs> big enough. So that's that, that's the literal translation. Now, there's other c- a concept of this gate. Now, um, we read about these gates throughout walled cities in the ancient world. Uh, eye the needle, uh, needles eye gates, right? Mm-hmm. So this concept of they're they're fortified gates. They're kind of a checkpoint gate, so that 
you have to you, you can't just bring a whole group of things and you have to go through a checkpoint have to be checked have to take the baggage down you have to it's kind of like a first century tsa it is right? it really is that's, that's a great way to say it so uh, the only way that a camel could get through this uh, particular gate is to um, be uh, have their baggage taken off and then they'd have to, to have to crouch now camels can do this they can crouch uh real low and walk through something that's you know Camels are weird. We talked about that. Yeah. <laughs> the camels are weird. Animals. Yes. But this is the other idea. And, and, and it works just as well because the only way that a camel can get through that, um, that needle's eye gate is to kneel and to remove and have its baggage removed. And so this is just another comparison of us to a kind of a herd animal that we have to be, we have to not behave like an animal, but if the Christian is going to enter the kingdom of God, two great ways to do it are to put down our necessary right. ideas, our baggage, mm-hmm. and also to be on our hands and knees. Right. That, that's probably uh, one of the best ways to feel like you're in the kingdom of God is to have that kind of reverence mm-hmm. that uh, on your hands and knees, you know, uh, it's like the narrow path, right. all these things. And as long as you're going to listen to this podcast, you hear me talking on it anyway. Whenever I hear the double, the double meanings, that's when I really know God is like pressing into you because both work. Both work. And I think that's part of the, why the scriptures are written the way that they are so that you can just spend this lifetime of, of seeing both of these because the literal meaning is true too. Right. That's both true. Good it's luck. Impossible. Good luck doing it. Right. But if you are going to quote unquote do it, you have to do it like this: on your knees, shed your baggage. It, it's just a beautiful wordplay. And the trick of that whole thing is the 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 rich young ruler came. He said, "What must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven?" And Jesus lays out a bunch of stuff, and he goes, "I did that. I've done that." What Jesus is trying to point out here is this: everybody's got something. Right, everybody's got something that uh, would hinder them if it wasn't for the grace of God. So this is the part I wanted to talk about. A while back, I don't know how long ago it was now, I got to the rich young ruler, Mm -hmm. and you know, there are some people who love to tell you how it's not about money, Mm -hmm. like that. This this passage isn't just speaking against material wealth, and that's very convenient for people Mm -hmm. who live in the West who have a very comfortable existence. But I think they're right, mm-hmm. but maybe not for the reasons that they they would like it to be. So right. I think everybody has that thing. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got the thing. That if the Lord looks at you and he says, you have to discard this one thing, mm-hmm. that it would make you drop your head yeah. and, and kind of walk away. And then it hit me. I finally identified, I think, what that thing was. Mm-hmm. And convenient for me, it wasn't money per se. Right. And so I wanted to ask you, you're there, it's the rich young David, the rich young Michael, mm-hmm. and Jesus says to you, Pastor Dave, what is the one thing, if he said you have to set this down mm-hmm. in order to follow me, that would make your, that would make you say, do I really have to give you that? Right. Do you want me to go first? I can go. I okay, mean, go ahead. First off, it'd be really crazy if, if Jesus called me Pastor Dave. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess that would be. <laughs> but the, <laughs> he'd probably be like David, David boy, David boy. That's yeah. it. Uh, <clears throat> I, I always go, and I hope I'm not stepping on yours. Maybe it's the same. We'll Maybe, see. but I always go back to the the Abrahamic request. Take your son Isaac. Go up to the top of the mountain, and stab him. Sacrifice him to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know, man. I I want to believe that I'm that trusting and that but that would be hard for me i i don't know i i just don't i might go away with my head down and sorrowful um but then again uh in the age of grace you have to say thank god that is not up to my actions yes to get to heaven i mean i do want to be obedient to god and all those things but i will never be obedient enough right but that's one man i don't know if i had to take one of my kids up and if i had if i had to give my child up for the sake of of, I don't know. I don't know. I, I hope that I would be, you know, some some people have had to do that in the mission field. Yeah. They've had to, you know, sacrifice their child from a point of, I'm not going to denounce the Lord. Right, so we're all going down now because I won't do it. Yeah. 
It's tough. You know, it's tough. I, so you're going to make me but sound... for the grace of God. You're going to make me sound like a bad father now because mine's not nearly that. <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking about... And I mean this... And that too. And, and right? That too. And that too. I'll take that but one I, too. But I, but I mean this sincerely. I realized one day I realized, I was like, oh. Because like I have a comfortable existence, whatever. I, I mm-hmm. yeah, Whatever, money. But the one thing that I truly love, I realized, and I think it's because I grew up, you know... I, I'm just, a, I grew up like an American kid, right? Yeah. I love the culture. Yeah. I love Americana mm-hmm. and I love, you know, talk radio and mm-hmm. politics and yeah, I yeah. love American history and I love Thanksgiving and cherry pie and football and all that. And I really wonder if the Lord said to me, you know. No more hot dogs. No. Yeah. Like you, you've, you've, you've followed me, yeah. you know, you, because you've made sacrifices to, mm-hmm. to serve at your church, all this stuff. You've done all that, but now you must say, travel somewhere. Mm-hmm. Or, or you know, re- like renounce your your culture for the sake of the gospel. Mm-hmm. I wonder if I would be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And and I, I I don't mean to like say that it's like, but like my comfort in my yeah. Just I love my identity as an American person. Right. I love all of it, mm-hmm. and I wonder. I have since this time I've questioned if I love it too much. If that's yeah. the thing that I'm hanging on to that mm-hmm. I just love to be able to, you know. Fourth of July, apple pie, all that. I just yeah. love it so much, and I, I wonder if that's the thing that you know. Maybe I shouldn't be watching the movies I watch sometimes. Maybe I shouldn't, yeah. you know, be as involved in in the the politics and the schemes of the country. I wonder if I would be willing to really lay that down and just say, "Oh, I'll go be a peasant in mm-hmm. a Baltic country or mm-hmm. something to follow you, Jesus." I wonder if I'd say, "No, can't you find a place for me yeah. stateside?" I mean, we, my wife and I experienced that when we went when we visited Egypt recently. I was thinking, man, I don't know if I could do it. If God called me to, you know, watch, now I was going to do it. And I was going to, like, because I said this. Both on, of us. On, yeah, both of us. We're both going to end up some some tent somewhere in a, like, a mud hut. Can I just get the YouTube TV? Can I just watch the game, you know? But we were, we, you know, some of the people we encountered in Egypt, and that's, you know, that's a pretty nice country in many ways. But the average person is not living with the same level of comfort and and ease as we are. And, it, you know, travel is one of those things that causes you to be more appreciative of what you have. Mm-hmm. And uh, great people, uh, but not a culture that I was really uh, wanting to trade into. So I want to offer a challenge to you, the listener. If you've never identified or even just spent some time thinking about, like, what is the thing, that one thing that if Jesus came to you and said, You've done so well. You followed me, but you have to give up this one thing. Mm-hmm. I just want to challenge you or encourage you. Try to identify it because I think it is from that place that we can start to really like. It's a pressure point. And sometimes yeah. we need pressure points to grow in our faith. And I just want you to consider it. if you've never considered it, what right. is that thing? And stop judging us, right? And, and maybe it is money for you. Maybe it is money. Maybe, maybe it, it is your be, paycheck. Maybe it's affluence. Uh, or, or 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 whatever it is, I, I just that's a good challenge. I, challenge I, like, you. I, like I would that. challenge you to spend some time, and I'd love to hear. Uh, yeah, in the comments, let us know. Yeah, if you've identified what that thing is, and yeah. you know, we won't share anything personal, but yeah, it's just an interesting thought experiment because it took me many times to that passage to realize that mm-hmm. it, it ain't the paycheck for me, right. but it is something similar. Hmm. So let's talk about pride. Okay, so this is a big topic, I guess. It's we a could huge probably topic. spend it's, a lot of time the talking topic, about right? it. What is pride? Excuse me, folks. I got a little cold today, so if I'm coughing up, just bear with me here. What is pride, and why is it bad? What is pride? Ooh, that's a that's a that's a deep question. It's a it's a very expansive question, but it's pretty simple in in its uh, root because basically, it's pride is thinking you you know better than God. I mean that. I mean. Thinking that you have the ability to run things and rule things uh, better than God. That's my most basic definition of pride. And so inside of your definition, I guess that's bad because it goes against trusting in God, right? Because if you think you can do anything better than God, Mm -hmm. that's probably a road to destruction. It's what brought Satan down. Right. I mean, that's what it was. I mean, he he wanted to rule, and he thought he could do it better than God. And uh, 
so so if you want to expand it a little farther, you could say this concept: God designed everything, and 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 to think that we can uh, run things, make things, uh, have a culture that is built on anything other than the way it was meant to be run, then we are prideful. We are we are we are moving in an area that is anti how God made things. So it's going to break down. Pride is pride is something that is going to break down anything. Culture, uh, family, a job, a relation, any relationships. It's just it's it's going to break down because it's not how we were designed. It's not how the world was designed. C.S. Lewis, in his book called *Mere Christianity*, uh, it's one of my the favorite so good. favorite books that I've ever yeah. read. I think it is um, obviously. It, it, it's a, something that you can have as an adjunct to your Bible, whatever. It's not, but it's, a, I think for me, I would say, particularly if you're a new Christian, um, if you're kind of in that non-denominational vein of Christianity that doesn't have the, like, catechisms and, and really strong church histories and structures, I think it's a must-read. But he has a definition for pride that I'm going to, I'm going to read for you in the podcast. I think this is great. So this is from, uh, he calls it, the Great Sin. This is C.S. Lewis. Today I come to that part of Christian morals where they differ sharply from all other morals. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty of themselves. I have heard people admit that they are bad-tempered, or that they cannot keep their heads about girls or drinking, or even that they are cowards. I do not think I have ever heard anyone who was not a Christian accuse himself of this vice. And at the same time, I have very seldom met anyone who was not a Christian who showed the slightest mercy to it in others. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. This vice I am talking of is pride or self-conceit. And the virtue opposite to it in Christian morals is called humility. You may remember when I was talking about sexual morality, I warned you that the center of Christian morals did not lie there. Well, now we have come to the center. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride, unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all of that are mere flea bites in comparison. And this is the money line. Wow. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Mm. Pride leads to every other vice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. Uh, that, that last couple words is just so profound. And so I think this definition works because, like you said, God is the designer. Mm -hmm. And to... To take on this idea that you can be better than something he designed, whether that be another person, uh, a, a political structure, uh, the way nature works, right. anything like that, you are an anti-God at right. that point. Mm -hmm. it, I, I go far as to say that these are the characteristics we'll see in the Antichrist. That the the, the we, we see in the that we spirit see. of Antichrist all over yeah. the world. So yeah. that's C.S. Lewis on pride, and I, I just wanted to read that. It was a little bit long, but um, I think it's hard to find a better definition than that that's yeah. not you know lifted right from the scriptures there. And I would say even, I think, he says he hasn't, doesn't, hasn't seen that in any other person other than Christians. And sometimes I think we're hard-pressed to see even in Christians. I think, like was said on Sunday, pride is one of those Christian sins that we kind of tolerate. In, in the Christian culture, this concept of pride, and we we don't we don't see it as a vice uh, as much as we should. And so C.S. Lewis goes on to say this last part. I want to read. He says, "We say that people are proud of being rich, proud of being clever, or proud of being good looking, but they are not. They are proud of being 
richer or cleverer mm -hmm. or better looking than others. Mm -hmm. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. Right. It is the comparison that makes you proud. Mm -hmm. The pleasure of being above the rest. Right. That's where the center of pride is, is that you get to decide that you're a better human or a better looking human or a kinder human than not only the guy next to you who God loves and created, right. but maybe God himself. Right. And that goes down to the, what we talked about Sunday about the craft project. We're so proud of our crafting our intelligence or crafting our appearance or craft. We're taking what God has made the raw material. We, we, we create nothing. I mean, if you want to be proud of something, create something like legitimately create it. God created everything. We just take what God had created and we we craft things. We're a craft project and we are proud of making ourselves something or doing something with what God has already given. And God, God is like, no, I, I already made you. Be proud. Be be proud of me. Be 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 uh, thankful. That I mean, be humble. Yeah, and we talked about pr pride a bit, and then we talked about how this concept of pride mm -hmm. it got in our culture, and it's I guess it's spreading through the world, yeah. the human culture. Yeah, pride has its own month, right? And we have this. It was in June, and we have this thing called Pride Month. And what's interesting about that is if that definition of pride that we just used, mm -hmm. then it was all that month. Right. Would that really be something that Christian people would be proud of or encouraging in any way, yeah. regardless of some of the, the real intricacies of the issue? But like, should the church ever be on board for anything labeled and sold as pride? Well, we're just basically giving a month to one of the seven deadly sins, <laughs> right? I mean, it's it's one of the seven deadly sins in Catholicism is this concept of pride. So we get, we're labeling labeling an entire month uh, that celebrates one of the seven deadly sins. Now, when it comes to the LGBTQIA plus um, plus movement, it's it's a perfect word for their for their month. It is, I mean, it really is, and I'm not saying this in a derogatory way. It is this concept of they're proud of what they've crafted. They've taken the natural uh, things that God has given them, and they have said, no, I, I, I don't feel okay with this. I'm going to make something better. I'm going to craft something better out of the raw materials that God has made mm -hmm. for me. Instead of submitting to God and, uh, and recognizing his sovereignty— they they've decided that they're going to make something different. They're going to craft something. So that's what pride is. It's it's being uh, so pleased with how you what you've done, what you've crafted, what you've made out of the raw materials that God has given. So it's it's from a uh, from a really natural space. It's a really great name for this movement. Now, what would you say to someone who says, you know what? I agree with everything you just said, mm -hmm. but we believe that the craftsmen made these people mm -hmm. a certain way, and that's what we're celebrating. We're not actually changing anything. Right. What we're doing as people who celebrate this pride movement is saying, mm -hmm. we're just going to actually live out and honor how the creator created me. Mm-hmm. What would you say to someone who would ask a? Because I would say that that's a fair question. It's absolutely a fair question, and the only way I can answer is that is is through the objective truth that I have through Scripture. That that's not that's not true. That God did not create you that way. That God created male and female in His image, and. Um, and this concept of, of changing that in any way, shape, or form goes against God's design for humanity. Now, I'm not saying that some people are not uh, same-sex attracted. And, you know, there's, there's, there's effeminate men. Men have more estrogen in their system yeah. than, 
than maybe some other men. <clears throat> and we know we all know that you know testosterone laden guy, right? Right. So there's levels in there, um, and also the same thing with women. But just because uh, we feel something that's different than what other people feel doesn't give us license to go against the designer's decree. And sometimes that's hard. Uh, people come to the church and they want to know if we're uh, open and affirming. Open and affirming, yeah. Right, and that's a great, I mean, I understand the question. I, I'm, you know, I'm compassionate, let's put it that way, towards this concept because um, I believe that they are, the, the culture has fed them a bunch of garbage that is, 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 is confusing to them. So what I would say to them is we are absolutely open. Anybody can come through these doors. We, we, we love people, right? But I, am, I, I, have, I have no agency to be affirming of anything that the Bible says is wrong. Right, and on the flip side of that, as a church that is uh, Christ-centered, Bible-based, right. we also can't get into the trap of painting this picture that there's no lifestyle mm-hmm. or um, set of circumstances that the Holy Spirit can't revive. Absolutely. That there's no there's no sin that um, Jesus can't forgive, yeah. and that there's no lie that truth can't be spoken into, right. too. Because I think a lot of times I've heard, I wish I could quote whoever said this to me the first time, that the American church seems to be known more for what it's against mm. than what it's for. Yeah. And in this kind of, cl- I'll speak for myself. The Bible this, could be said for that too. People it, could say that about the Bible. Yeah, and we kind of see, we just see this thing where, or I agree, I don't think the church can get on board with Pride Month. Right. I, I just don't see a way for that to happen uh, biblically. Not but, from a biblical standpoint, yeah. But at the same time, uh, if you're listening to this and you have um, questions about this or, or you're struggling with some of these things, I just think that the church is the best place for you. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And particularly a church that is going to show you that this isn't what Pastor Dave thinks or right. what Michael thinks. Who cares? Right, because really who, who cares? cares right? Right? Yeah, you might care what we think about, like, who's going to win the AFC East this year in football. <laughs> who cares? Right. But when we're talking about what the scriptures say, um, we have to stand on the Word of God, and, and I, that will—I think that'll— if we can just openly have these conversations in a um, not hysterical way, I think we can bring the temperature down in yeah. the culture, and and the church, at least from the church's perspective, we can start to speak truth into the culture that um, you don't have to f- kick against the goads. We right. we have all have thorns in our sides at times, and, um, and that's one of the things I say to people like. We we are not, and and that, and that and this is a problem with church culture is that we we rate um, levels of sinful activity uh-huh. whereas you know the person who's uh, fornicating in a heterosexual way we don't have as much problem with that guy oh but I, i've said this before i mean i'll be vulnerable i lived with my wife as man and wife before we were married right so who am i to say to someone yeah. oh you know your your sexual sin or or, or, right. or your confusion on the doctrines that god has it, no. Sin is sin. But the only side to that is when you are confronted or, right. or taught the truth at a right. certain point, that's where your pride comes in. Right. Where Absolutely. if you're aware of the truth and you and you reject and you, it. And you and you reject it. Yeah. And so that's where we to our last topic. And this might take a while though. I, mean, I just yeah, wanna yeah, this please. this this concept of, of surrendering, we get this we get this uh, Christian concept that, you know, uh, things are gonna happen. Uh, at the altar in a moment and it's going to be gone and everyone's going to, you know, that might not happen. It may take a while for somebody who has um, same-sex attraction or um, this concept of uh, transgenderism that they've, like a man stuck in a woman's body or a woman stuck in a man's body to, to, to align their thoughts, minds, body with the will of God. And, and it's really bizarre because we, we live in such a, think about this, a whole month, a whole month. Mm-hmm. Let's just take away the, the, the LGBT tagline, right? A whole month dedicated to being proud of sex. 
sexuality. That's a weird concept. That's a, that's a, that's a 21st century concept. I mean, this is like, this is weird that we would have so much pride in what is so, you know, in scripture and, and, and it's kind of a private thing. It's something we do, but it doesn't define human, human humanity. We've caused this sexuality to be a defining factor. And sexuality is like a flame, man. <clears throat> when you take a, take a, a flame. Okay. If it, it, it's, 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 it is a thing that has the ability to bring warmth, life, sustenance to a family. It has, it has the ability to, to promote life. Mm-hmm. Okay. But when it gets out and when it's, when it's uh, something that is not used properly, it can be very, very destructive. So when's the last time somebody was running around, you know, excited about, a f- about fire? It, it, it's a basic thing to human need and human life, but we don't, we don't celebrate it. This sexualized, soaked culture has made sexuality so paramount. And that's why piety is the anti-deviant. And I, I want to break that down a little bit. that a little bit yeah. for us. Piety, piety is, is the, the anti-deviant. anti-deviant. So uh, when we read um, Romans, we hear this, this concept of God gave them over. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a little second. But the idea that um, when a society loses its piety, it goes off in all these uh, these these different areas of deviance, and what I mean by deviance is not like gross necessarily. It's just deviating from what builds culture well. Right. So another way of saying that the piety would be saying like, um, I don't know. I'm not talking about kneeling at church and going through right. all these rituals. I'm saying say like a generally accepted. Moral it's boundaries. Boundaries. It's boundaries. It's moral boundaries that a culture agrees on. It could be Christian. We have our own Christian yeah, like boundaries. Some people call something like that, like the social contract or Absolutely. something. There's this. Yep. Okay. Just so culture. To... Even Rome. Rome had mm-hmm. uh, a level of piety that they they uh, they lived by, and when they got so affluent, and I think it's a it's a it's a, a byproduct of affluence. We get bored. We get. Um, we're not worried about like feeding ourselves anymore. We're not worried about uh, housing ourselves anymore. That's why socialism is is, is really a, a a proponent of these things because when everybody's taken care of, they just they do weird things. <laughs> they do deviant things. Anyway, that's a whole another topic for another day. Yeah, but yeah. when when a culture gets to an affluent place, they tend to break that. Uh, piety of the of the community because they're not worried about the culture anymore because it's all taken care of and piety is this 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 social contract is the anti deviant and um, we got to be careful that we don't deviate and we believe that uh, piety from a Christian standpoint is alignment with God's word and any culture that it gets away from that tends to have problems and that ties into the last topic that we have today. Uh, we, we've been reading Romans 1. It just seems like a lot in church lately. Uh, we've been kind of, just over the sermon series, they've naturally kind of— It's kinda, come around, yeah. They've kind of fit in. And um, verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie mm-hmm. and worship and serve created things rather than the creator. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much—I'm just realizing it now. That's a, a good definition for pride, mm-hmm. that— we get we that we even have the option of saying, you know, I'd rather have the lie mm-hmm. because maybe it makes me feel better mm-hmm. or uh, like like physically makes me feel better or right. even mentally. And so, when we worship things of our own hands, mm-hmm. isn't pride self evident in that? But that's man, it's one of those. Even when we go back to the concept of human sexuality, this idea that we would elevate this component of human life to the place of giving it a, a sacred month, mm-hmm. that's worship. That, I mean, we worship at the altar of sexuality in our culture so much, and it is. It's, it was never meant to be that, that, that wildfire that it's become. It was supposed to be something that was home and hearth, 
that was uh, supposed to build the family, connect husband and wife to uh, make us uh, to procreate the, the culture, and also for the um, the security of the home. It's supposed to bind the family together, and now we've let this wildfire out, and we worship it, uh, and to the point of uh, of our own of our own problems, I think, in a lot of ways. Right, and what we what we've done is we've taken a created thing, yep. meaning the sexual act mm-hmm. that was a um, it was a gift to to it's amazing a, to a man and a wife yeah. for. For multiple things, but it, what it was, right. um, like your fire analogy, it was a fire that was built in a, like a fire pit, let's yeah. put it that way. And but when For those, a purpose. For those purposes. But when those walls mm. or the, the containing, it can spread, oh, and, and now fire can be a destructive thing. And it could be anything. When we worship the, the creator rather than the creator. It could be money. We were just using this because or of the even, concept of even pride. Even people's month. appetites. You know, this, appetites, this is one. Right. This is one that always... Uh, uh, maybe I'm just, it's kind of on my mind because I just had my blood work done yesterday for my yearly physical. <laughs> yep. I'm doing, I'm doing good, right? Good, good for you, man. <laughs> and yeah, uh, my numbers are, are trending in the right direction. But, you know, you have someone mm-hmm. say, uh, like a Christian, you can picture this guy who's on his soapbox talking about the sexual sin. Right. And sexual sin can't, I don't want to say it, it can't affect other people. Yeah. So you have to be careful with that when you, when yeah, you, when you fire. lead other people yep. to sin. But but he might be like a hundred pounds overweight, right? And same thing with his appetite, right? God gave you an appetite and mm-hmm. a brain and eyes to be able to identify a nutritious food, but right. you're you can't control that impulse. And mm-hmm. I would say that I'm not trying to like compare sins or whatever, but like it's it is very easy for Christian people to look at sexual sin, look at this Pride Month thing, and yep. look at those people and you yeah. otherize people, and we can still be. Um, identifying those things as sin, yeah. but there is so much introspection that I think the American church needs to do about keeping these impulses intact and, yeah. and, and worshiping, you know, our, our the created Absolutely. order. Because I've got one, I just have to get this one in. I know we're going long today, but we're talking about worshiping created things. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've also noticed in our culture, people always talk about like Mother Earth. Yeah. Now, Mother Earth, like, oh, we have to take care of Mother Earth. And right. I'm not, listen, I'm not saying we should trash we should the steward po- it. That's what the, that's right. what the word is, yeah. But it's interesting that we, it. we, we have this other movement in our country, in our culture, that's, we almost see Earth worship coming back again. Oh, absolutely. It, and, and so this idea, because the thing about it is, Mother Earth is trying to kill you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you take it. it, it <laughs> like, it, she's actually like, I don't know if it's, what is it like? There's some syndrome where, like, a uh, you know, the mom wants to like eat yeah. her children or whatever. <laughs> but if Mother Earth is what you worship, yeah. a created thing just like you, yeah. in fact, a lesser thing, but Mother Earth, it's like without God's impulses yeah. to protect, yeah. to feed, the like, it, if you just walk the earth yeah. in this sinful fallen world, it's working to eat everything you, about it, to it. kill you. Yeah, everything about it. Everything about Mother yeah. Earth is trying to kill you. And I think she's a rough taskmaster. <laughs> all the created things, yeah. including Mother Earth, out of their right context, are going to consume. They're out right. to consume you. And that's how we get the pagan god uh, pantheons, because it is basically the Mother Earth just personified, and you have to appease these because they're always against you. Where God's like, no, I'm not against you. I'm for you. I want, I want you to thrive. You know, I came to give you life and life abundantly, but I have designed it in a certain way. And if, you, if, you, uh, if you're so full of pride that you transgress those design pieces, you're going to struggle. And, and I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to make you obey. I will actually give you over. It says in Romans, I will give, give you over, over to what you have decided is right. And we'll see how that goes. Right, and God's respect for absolutely for man's free will is something that um, it it might be one of the most beautiful gifts of all that absolutely that, that a man is not just uh, a robot. He's mm-hmm. not like mm-hmm. like we see the things on Mother Earth just kind of operating under these natural processes. That right. um, it's interesting. Our free will is such that we can take an instinct 
mm-hmm. and use it for something that's not good for us, right. which is something that's really hard to see in on Mother Earth and other places, right. that it makes man distinct. I just want to read uh, one verse about the created things and why our perspective, our prideful perspective of why we think we know better. Uh, it's from Job uh, 38, 1 through 7. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, and he said, Who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Get ready to answer me like a man. When I question you, you will inform me. Where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Who supports its foundations? Who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And that's really it. Like we're when yeah. when we build I up love that passage. When we build up this prideful state of mind, I'm I'm probably be terrifying, but God comes in the world when he's like, like, where were you, bro? Yeah. Like you think you know better than me, but yeah. where were you? I love that part of Job because Job asks all these questions and God never answers his questions. He just says, Wait a minute, hold up. You want to, you, you think you know everything? Okay. Answer me a question. Where were you? And he never answers Job's question. I've often gone back to that passage when I realize that I've been prideful. Yeah. Because it's just a, it's, it's a very, uh, it's a very good reset button. It's a good slap in the face of like, wow, okay, this is the God I'm dealing with. I got to be careful. We got to be careful. So we're going to wrap it up this week. Um, this was fun one. This was a fun one. I don't know if, it, if we're capable of actually keeping these as short as we wanted to. So thank you for hanging in there yeah. with us. I hope you enjoyed your time with us today. And like always, if you would do us a favor, if you could like, follow, subscribe, give us a five-star review, share this with a, a friend either in church or outside of church or another church. We'd, we'd like to just be able to um, see where God takes this podcast. And we thank you uh, for listening. And we'll see you next week. God bless. Matthew 28.